I'm so excited for second service. First service was amazing. We went to gospel, dancing, clapping, shouting, and now you're going to go to Bible class. Are you ready? We'll see if we can turn it to clap and shout and dance it and all of that. But uh, the Bible class starts now in Hebrews chapter 2. We are going through John in chapter 1 uh, on first service. And trust me, John has had some Bible class lessons, uh, but they were rewarded for their diligence. You know what? Sometimes some of you uh, talk to me, and you actually like it when we go deep. How many like the Bible class style of Sunday services? About half of you. Okay. Uh, the other half, I'll, I'll, I'll know how to make you happy. Amen. But you know what? That's okay because, uh, you know, right brain, left brain, you know, people try to dis- describe the differences of us and our personalities. Some are more creative. Some are more analytical. Some like to jump, dance, and shout. Some like to have quiet moments with their coffee, reading their Bible, and journaling. How many journalers do I have here today? I'll put my hand down quickly because I'm not one. But if you're a journaler, raise your hand. Okay, we got some journalers in the place. And that's awesome. Isn't that cool? My wife's a journaler. She likes to journal. And you know what? Each person in the body of Christ is here for a reason, and we can learn from each other. And the great thing is, I know you can't make both services. Most of you have things to do, but you can always go back and listen to the first one, and they can do vice versa. So Hebrews chapter 2, if you believe that God, God is a God of coffee, can I hear an amen? Why is he a God of coffee? Because he brews. How many know it's, it's pastor joke time, okay, just to lighten it up because it's going to get deep here for a while. But he's the guy of coffee. You know, we don't want to talk about the wine so much because that will make some, some people mad and the beer and all that. But how many know he's also okay with that in moderation because he brews, okay? You got it. Now, you young people, you better not get me in trouble, all right? And then you old people, too, acting wild. Pastor said I could do it. Not like that. Whatever you're doing, you're doing wrong. We have a stance. Now I have to feel like I have to explain this. We have a stance of moderation here. And if you can't handle drinking wine with Jesus at the wedding because we don't believe it was grape juice, then don't touch it. Stay away from it. Amen. Mui mall. But uh, I should have stayed with the coffee. Should have, then it just no one, nobody would have been mad at me. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to get into an introduction before we get into it. Once again, good to see everybody here. Thank you. So glad that you honor us on Sunday mornings, and hopefully you feel honored as well. In my time of studies, I had to go through the book of Hebrews and explain the warnings. You are now entering into the first warning of Hebrews. Uh, No matter how you felt about the jokes before, you may want me to go back to them in a few moments because it's going to get serious. And I smile because I love you, and we can take these serious and know God loves us. Amen? If you skip ahead to Hebrews, uh, in the Bible, it says in the book of Hebrews, he disciplines those he loves. All good discipline should come from someone who loves us. If anyone is ever trying to discipline you, correct you, and they don't love you, that needs to be a red flag, okay? So discipline doesn't always feel good, though. Remember that. It doesn't always feel good, but it should come from a place of love. Now, when we... uh, go through these, we're going to make note of them, and I've already had the studies done in my prior class. If you click on that link, uh, my brother doesn't have to, but if you click on it, which is on your notes on the app or the website, here's my phone right here, and you can just check, you know, 
check these out on your own time. We will be going through them. What you will notice is that they kind of increase in intensity. So if you would just scroll down so they can see all five there. Thank you, brother. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the warning against drifting away, and the title of the message is Pay Attention. Everybody say, Pay Attention. Amen. That's the warning today, and we need to pay attention. The other one is of an unbelieving heart. The next one is falling away. So drifting away, pay attention so you don't drift away, a warning against an unbelieving heart, and then you get the warning of falling away and then deliberately sinning against God. That's probably one of the strongest. So uh, you can say we're getting stronger as we go, or you could say they're all strong, depending how you want to look at it, but that's a very strong one. And then the last one is if you refuse God, it's over for you. Okay, there's nothing left. There's no more hope. And what I want to do as a good pastor is do what the author did here. I want to give you those warnings. Now, the first parts you have to understand as we go to Hebrews 2, verse 1, we can look at the passage now, is that this is for everybody. Notice in the passage, we, everybody say we. Amen. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we, everybody say we, we have heard so that we, somebody say we, we do not drift away. Now, would you believe it? It's true, but I'm going to ask, would you believe it that in my cemetery, I mean seminary, the folks that I had to debate with didn't think Christians could lose their salvation? They didn't think it could happen, and yet the author of this scripture says three times in the first verse, bringing us to the first of five warnings, we. Now, their best argument, because I do want to be faithful to my Baptist brothers, and like I said, I'm kind of Bapticostal. I share a lot of things in common with them as a Pentecostal, but the one difference is the one saved always saved. Now, you can attend our church and enjoy fellowship with us and have a different opinion on this. It's definitely not worth, worth breaking fellowship over, and some of my friends uh, feel differently about this, but they're wrong. Amen? Okay. You're on my side? You're on my side? My friends are wrong, right? So I'm going to tell them the church is on my side, so they better listen, right? Okay. Now, listen. Here's their best argument. Somebody say, give it to me, Pastor. Okay, you can't make straw men and think you're doing something cool, beating up on something that's not really the argument. That's called the straw man fallacy. Look at how amazing I am as you're beating up on a straw man. You got to give them credit for their best argument if you're going to take it on. The best argument, and this is maybe not convincing to you, it's certainly not to me, but this is their best argument. The reason why the we's are brought up With the strong warnings of falling away, drifting away, losing salvation, the reason why that is done in the context of the Christians is because they're supposed to hear that strong warning and then not disobey God and stay a Christian. So they can't, in technical terms, leave their salvation, but it's good for them to hear the, or else, you know, if you've ever had your parent raise a hand at you, or else, better stop, or else. So they're not really going to do it. How many had parents that actually did do it? I grew up in a house where I got slapped, okay? If we did that today, we would all go to jail, all right? But praise God, we're learning as we go. But I got slapped across the mouth, and that's sad that some people still live with that, and they need to know better on how to discipline, okay? So if you're doing that and you're here, we have better ways to do that. Talk to us about how we raise our children. We prefer the tushy, and we prefer it, obviously, to not leave any marks and to be done with grace and love. But I think my children are happy I don't slap them. Amen? But I might say an or else or give a threat. But then the idea would be, I'm not going to do it. You're supposed to take it as a threat and then go about your way. That's their best argument. Is that convincing to you? 
Not to me. It's really not because it sounds almost like you're tricking them. See, the parent does that because they're in anger and they're upset and they don't know what else to do. And so that's what they're doing in frustration. I think God's a step above us acting in our frustration. Can I hear an amen to that? I don't think God would use that kind of language. But that's their way that they would say, yes, Joe, we do believe the we is of Christians and they need to pay attention. And this is serious, but they're really not going to lose their salvation. It's just so serious that they know that they're not supposed to do whatever they're being told not to do. Like, it's supposed to be taken that way, but at the end of the day, they're still supposed to have security and a sense of being eternally secure, and, and then they, they can rest and, and know they're really not going to lose their salvation. I don't think that's what's being said. I'm just going to read verse 1 again of the warning. Now, notice this. Those of you who have been tracking with us in the sermon series, we just went in chapter 1 to how awesome Jesus is. He's greater than all the angels. Amen? And now we go right into the warning. That abrupt change is on purpose. What he's doing is correcting the false teachings in chapter 1, which if you haven't listened to the multiple messages I did on it, please do so. I believe chapter 1 of Hebrews is the most Christocentric, has the highest Christology out of all the chapters of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 1. So if you've never gone into an in-depth study, even more so than John chapter 1, like I said, it's hard to compare Bible chapters. I mean, they're all awesome, right? But if I'm going to pick one, if I had to explain to you just one chapter of the Bible about who Jesus is, I'm going to Hebrews chapter 1. So we go from that quickly to this warning. Now listen to the context. You've heard this from the preacher, the writer who I believe is Paul in chapter 1, how amazing Jesus is. And he goes, we must pay attention, most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. I don't know how else to take that. I can drift away. If the author of my letter tells me I can drift away, I better take that serious. Go to Galatians chapter 1. We've talked about this as well. I believe this is a letter written by Paul. If you do not see Paul as the author, you have probably the majority of scholarship on your side. I have the majority of church history. Who's better? You figure it out in prayer. It's not a salvation issue. But I'm going to show you in Galatians chapter 1 where even Paul himself gave people warning about what would what they were to do even if he were to fall away. Go and scroll down a little bit, please. Look at verse 6. Galatians chapter 1. So whether it's written by Paul or not, the point still remains. Apostles even warned you about what could happen if they fall away. Here we go. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called. Uh, so, so here he's warning them that now they've already left the gospel. He's telling them they can go to hell in the state that they're in. So a church is actually backsliding. Just to make the point even, even more clear, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So here's a church actually becoming a cult. And what kind of cult? They're going to be a legalistic cult. They're going to be like a Jewish roots cult. Nothing wrong with believing in the Jewish roots of Christianity, but you do not follow them for uh, salvation. And that's what's happening. So he says, I'm, I'm so concerned with you, and I'm shocked that you're turning away from the grace of Christ. You're turning to a different gospel. Verse 7, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, notice in verse 8. But even if we, somebody say we again. Do you notice that even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than that which we, somebody say we, come on, we preach to you, let them, and he's in the we, let them be under God's curse. 
The big uh, Greek word there is anathema. That's where you hear that term in the religious circles, especially even in the Catholic Church. They bring those kinds of things up, anathema. This is a biblical term. And Paul says that even if we, that would include him, that would include Barnabas, that would include Timothy, that would include Titus, Philemon, and so forth, all of his traveling companions, even if we came with a different gospel, no, we are damned. So how much more clear could it be, my friends? And by the way, the thing about the angel, what did, um, what did Muhammad claim he saw in the cave? A what? A dog? A cat? What did he claim he saw? An angel. An angel appeared to him claiming to be Gabriel. Was it Gabriel? No, it was a false angel, a demonic spirit lying to him. Who did uh, Joseph Smith say he saw? An angel, Moroni, showing him the books, the tablets, the lost testaments of Jesus, right? These things were real warnings and are still warnings. And I warn you on calling upon your ancestors, calling upon, you know, any spirits, because you're going to get somebody to pick up that other end of the phone. It's just not going to be who you think they are. Amen? And I always say around Halloween time, what they want to dress up like and what they want to be scared of, I cast out in Jesus' name. Bring it here if you need some help, okay? Nightmares, demonic spirits, they go out, not in my name, in Jesus' name. How dare we think we're great? Only God can do this. Amen? I'm nothing. And I won't charge you $9.99 nor give you holy water or holy rag. Amen? You come just as you are, we'll do deliverance, okay? But be very careful with those things because spirits, they desire bodies. And if they can use the information, I mean, don't you think these evil spirits have information about your grandma, your friends, your family? Of course, if they can use it as an entranceway, they will. So be very careful with that. Going back to Hebrews chapter 2, I think it's very clear that the warning applies to everybody. We see three we's there. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. One more time, just to make it clear. Because the words are drift away, we are to think about and listen to what they mean. If you heard those words, drift away, and you're of that culture, what should come to mind? Something about a ship, right? drifting away on the water. So what does that mean? That means the ship was where it was supposed to be at some point, and the warning is, do not drift away from where you're supposed to be to where you're not supposed to be. Does everybody get that? How can that apply to anyone but Christians? The second argument that people would bring up, which is not even as compelling as the first, is they would say, The we he is referring to there is the we of the people he is speaking to, and there may be sinners and saints in there, and so the the Christians are pretty much safe, but the sinners, they're getting in trouble if they don't listen, so he's going to warn them, like, hey, hey, guys, if you're a sinner here and you don't listen, you're going to have trouble. But would that make any sense? If a sinner is hearing my message, are they in danger of drifting away? No, they've already drifted away. Unless you think sinners are already docked at the shore of Jesus, having Jesus as an anchor. Can I hear an amen to that? Come on, guys. Can you, as a sinner, have a fear about being lost? No, because you're already lost. So if the terminology is, hey, those of you listening need to take warning lest you drift, you can't say he's just speaking to a mixed audience and that it would only apply to the sinners and he's just using the colloquial term or the generalization of a we. He's not doing that because a sinner, by definition, is already drifted away. They're already on the wide gate going to hell. They're somewhere down at the bottom of the ocean sunk like the Titanic. 
The one that is in danger here is someone that has the beautiful cruise ship, that has the beautiful ship on the ocean, and it's right where it's supposed to be. That's who he's talking to, and he's saying to people like us. That's why he puts the we in there. We are in the ship of God. We are shipping with the fellow. How many have fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Shipping with the fellow. You're on the boat of God today. You're on the ark, as it were. So this is a warning for us that we don't drift away. How many can say, thank you, Mr. Obvious? Would anybody say that? I mean, it seems pretty obvious, but I have to do that as a preacher because Christians today want to be told that no matter what they do, Papa in heaven loves them. They don't have to fear God anymore, and that's not true. As I've explained before in certain uh, sermons, it would be good to repeat here, we still fear God even as Christians. Let me give the example. My children, I have six of them, are in this church, and they have nothing but love and admiration for me, and I love them and honor them. Amen, children? Can I hear me amen for my children? Why are preacher's kids all of a sudden quiet? I didn't know preacher kids were quiet. Maybe you're embarrassed. Pray for preacher's kids. Amen. PK's needed. I know we have a sister, so PK here. Can I get an amen for my six children if you know daddy loves you? One, two, three. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So they know I love them. But now imagine if I was a general in an army and we were at war with a country and they left the safety of my house and went to the side of the enemy. So imagine if my children joined ISIS and I was a general in the United States Army fighting ISIS. Should they have a fear of me then? They should fear and respect me then. Because the weapons that I fire now against the enemy, the bullets will have no names. It's taking out anybody that's in the enemy territory. So they know that I love them, that I protect them, that I'll do anything to keep them safe. But there are situations that I would have to fight against them if they went into an immoral place. Like, for example, if one of my children tried to do a Columbine, I would be obligated to take them out if I could. Can I hear an amen? If they wanted to be an active shooter in this church, how many know we're in a very weird place of an example right now? But how many know it's still making the example? So they have the fear of me in that sense. So when we're wrestling together, when we're having fun, uh, sometimes they say, give me all you got. And I'm like, no, you really don't want all I have. And then one time, my daughter, I won't mention the name, but she said, well, if you give me all you got and I can last more than 10 seconds, can I be able to sit on your chair? Because I have a special papa chair in the house. Does anybody have a house where there's a papa chair? There's a, there's a special papa chair in our house. That's where dad sits. I'm one of those guys, by the way. I don't have slippers or a robe or anything like that, but there is a papa chair. And so I said, okay, if you can last, because we have a trampoline in the back, if you can last 10 seconds with me, wrestling, I'll let you have the papa chair. I think, Lucas, she lasted, what, six seconds? How many? Seven seconds. And he's not going to ever forget that because the one that I took down takes him down, which is tough because the older sister taking down the younger brother, that's tough. But I'll tell you what, she learned very quick, you don't want full strength. And still, that wasn't full strength. How many know, seriously, if I went full strength on my daughter, I would be in jail? I mean, could you, you know what I'm saying? Now, some might say, well, Joe, if you had it under control, I don't know how much I would have it under control. I, I'm not that good. You know, I haven't studied under Mr. Miyagi enough. But like, but like, really, give it to me all you got. You know, like I'm like elbowing to the face, you know, and all this crazy stuff. I'm going to jail. It's a nightmare. And that's why child abusers should go to jail, right? Like, so 
You don't do that. What God is doing in this context, let's just bring it back to this. What God is doing in this context is saying, I'm your father. I love you. You can trust me. I will take down that devil every time. But pay careful attention not to drift away. Because God is telling us, you get away from his protection, you're now going to suffer harm. And I want to be very clear about this. Oftentimes, we think the only harm we get when we leave God is from the devil. Like, oh, we leave God, now we suffer from the devil. My friends, that's not the only harm we get. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5, please. New Testament, we know we can go to Old Testament, but let me show you in the New Testament, God will resist you. It's not just now you become prey to the devil, and the way I look at it is you're under God's protection as an umbrella. It's raining. You leave God's protection. Now you get the rain coming down upon you. You leave the umbrella, and that could be opening yourself up to the attacks of the enemy. That's a great example, and I've been taught that. That's not only what happens, though. Imagine that happening, and then God coming in the rain, putting his hand against your chest, saying, you're not moving back inside. You're staying outside here with the dogs. The Bible's very clear that you can get to a point where God now opposes you. Listen to what it says, and all of us ought to take warning here. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders so there is order in the church. All of you clothe yourselves with humility, and that's all of us, towards one another, whether you're an elder or not, a leader or not. All of us better walk in humility. Why? Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And that's when we go back to God being our father, Papi, Abba, Father, I love you. Okay, let's stay there. That's where I want to be. How many want to be on the side of God? How many don't want to be God's enemy? Amen. Go to James chapter 3, please. So here's where we can just understand as we hear the surround sound of the New Testament, do not cheat on God. Do not become an adulterer with God. Do not turn your back on God. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. Chapter 4, rather, please. Uh, Verse 4. God will always be good to us, but you have a choice whether or not you leave God. I have a choice to whether or not I want my ship to drift away from God. There then in that ocean of despair, I will suffer from what the enemy can do to me as well as my God. It is fearful, and we'll learn this in Hebrews 10.26, it is fearful and terrifying to fall into the hands of an angry God. You will fall under the judgment of God, and you will suffer the attacks of the enemy. So those who do not follow God suffer in two ways. You are now open prey to the devil. The devil can have his hand in your life, power and authority over you, and your God, our creator, is now against you. Verse 4 of James, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world means war, enmity against God? You are no longer David in the story. Everybody get this, please. If you turn against God, you're no longer David. You're Goliath, and you're going down. Can I hear an amen? I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't care how good you have been. If you turn against the living God, you are now his enemy. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. But I thought God loved everybody. He does, but he will judge some people. Even though he loves us, he will judge us. 
This is the truth about our God. And some people, honestly, they just don't like it. I've mentioned her before, Oprah Winfrey. She said this turned her off from the God of the Bible. So she had to go search for new age gurus that talk about the God of lollipops and rainbows and puppies and everybody singing in the rain. That's a different God. And they always say things like, well, my God wouldn't judge you that way and my God would accept you and don't listen to these other people. My God wouldn't do this or my God would do that. And they're true. It's right their God wouldn't do all that stuff. You know why? because their God doesn't exist. And in their mind, it's just make-believe. But this is not the truth of the Bible. Please go to Ezekiel chapter 33. It's also in 33. But but go with me to Ezekiel chapter 3. The Bible says that the one who turns away from God drifts away. The righteous things they have even done will be remembered no more. They will be forgotten. Go ahead and scroll down just a little bit more there for me, please, brother. Look at, uh, yeah, keep going. I want to give this verse to you. I wish I memorized the Bible. How many want to just memorize the Bible? Amen. Start at verse 16 and go to verse 20. That's the context. I'll start at verse 20, but you can see it starts in 16. Again, when a righteous person turns, what kind of person is turning here? A righteous person. This is not a wicked person. This is not a sinner. This is a righteous person, right? The Bible says clearly in Romans, there's none that are righteous except for God. So this person must have turned to God and received righteousness, right? Okay, so when a righteous person turns from their what? Righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block. The devil does it? No, God does it, and I put a stumbling block before them. They will die. Now he's talking to Ezekiel the prophet. Since you did not warn them, they will die for their sin. The righteous things that person did will not be remembered, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. That's why I fear God for the preachers that I love and respect. I'll be honest, I love and respect T.D. Jakes and these others, but I fear for God for them because they go around the rich and the famous, and I don't hear a lot of warnings. The Bible says not only are you to warn the wicked, that's in the prior verses, but he says you're also even supposed to warn the righteous. So if you come to a church like this and you're turned off because, man, the preacher's, you know, warning you, you shouldn't be angry at me. You should be angry at the one who's not warning you. You know, you should be angry at the one who doesn't warn you about where adulterers go, drunkards go, uh, where idolaters go, those who practice witchcraft. You see, these things keep you outside of the kingdom of God, and if you're a Christian, they cause you to drift from the kingdom of God. In other words, no one is safe from a lifestyle of sin. Be warned. And notice it, and please highlight it, the righteous things that person did will not be remembered. So thinking about the Hebrews 2 example, be careful. Be most careful to pay attention to this, that you don't drift away. How would I see that? Somebody that was on Jesus' love boat, hanging out with the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And now what happens? If a sinner allows sin in their life, they drift away. And I can see them as they're drifting away, and the storms are coming, and the judgment is coming. They're shouting back to their friends on the shore or the other ship that they used to be on. They're saying, but don't you remember those good times we used to have? Don't you remember what we used to do? Don't you remember how you used to dance with me? Don't you remember how you used to hang out with me? Anybody ever watch The Love Boat back in the day? Anybody old enough? A few of us? Okay. Like, didn't we used to do that? Now I'm on a battleship and I'm getting sunk. And I can hear the prophet speaking the word of the Lord back to them going, I don't remember you anymore. Who are you? Keep firing at that ship. Keep firing at them until they go down. The Love Boat, and this example has weapons on it as well. Amen. 
and Jesus is judging them. And they're saying, but Jesus, I thought that we were close. We were like this. I thought we did all of these things. And Jesus is saying, you've turned from your righteousness, and now I remember you no more. Now go back to chapter 2 of Hebrews, please. Are you taking this serious? Okay, now let's avoid the other ditch. So one ditch says we shouldn't uh, fear losing our salvation because once saved, always saved. We have eternal security. I've showed you the best arguments for that and how they're defeated. They first and foremost think that it's really not a true thing that can happen, but it's supposed to be so intense that it keeps you from letting it happen. So it's a warning without any teeth. There's no bite to it. The other argument is it's a general we, and it's predominantly speaking to the sinners. But we know sinners are already adrift, and they're lost at sea. So now we're on the other side. We have to avoid these ditches over here, which make us feel that everything we do wrong as a Christian, I'm going to lose my salvation. I don't know if I'm saved. Man, did you know what I did yesterday, Pastor? i got to confess to you, and they pray for me because I feel like I'm going to hell. We don't want to live in that either. Go to 1 John, please, chapter 4. You see... We have to live within the perfect balance of God's love. But go to 1 John chapter 4 so I can balance this out. Somebody say, balance it out, Pastor. Amen. Go to 1 John chapter 4, starting around verse 17. This is how love is made complete or perfect among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. You're not supposed to be afraid of going to hell. Somebody say confidence. Thank you. This is how we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus Verse 18, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made what? Perfect in love. Pastor, you just contradicted yourself. No, I didn't. I balanced out the scripture. Do you see what I just did? We're not going off to this ditch, and we're not going off into this ditch. This ditch over here says, God loves you. Don't worry about drifting away. It will never happen to you. He's just talking to sinners. On this other ditch, this other side over here, it says, oh, man, be afraid. God can change his mind about you. One little sin, and you're going to hell. Man, fear whether or not you'll ever make it. Judgment day is going to be scary. No, we drive right in the middle of the road called truth. And truth says this, that as long as I have faith, to trust and believe that Jesus is my Savior, I will be saved from all sin. Forgiveness is the privilege of the Christian, not to be used and abused, but to be received with grace and mercy. And so if I do sin as a Christian, go to uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, I can come to him and ask him to forgive me and be at peace in my conscience. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, I write you these things that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Amen? He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, for Christians, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. I can rest in peace. So going back once again to Hebrews 2, I can take serious this warning and yet now walk, uh, and, and yet avoid walking in needless fear to think my security or my salvation is so insecure, I can lose it like how my wife loses her phone. My wife's the only one that laughed. Okay, some laughter in the back. It's okay. I only pick on her when it, when it uh, is, is little stuff. But then when I give you the mic, I get scared. I'll be honest with you. Because you know all the dirt on me. And she still loves me. Oh, here's something that I lose. I lose the memory of feeding my children when I take them out on 
trips with me. And I think I've talked about that, so I'm going to make it fair so I don't want anybody to think I'm picking on my wife. I can be out with my kids, and I can just forget to feed them. Okay, I know that's weird, and someone's reporting me right now. we got to report this guy. Okay, and I don't know why that is, but it's just not the first thing on my mind. I don't like eating when I'm out, you know. It's like you got to spend money, you got to stop, you got to do stuff. So what one errand going to Home Depot or going out and doing something turns into about five hours of activity, they come back starving. Okay, so now we've made it, made it fair, okay? But my wife will lose her phone because, granted, she has six kids and me to put up with, okay? So I'll even make myself look bad there. Um, but she loses her phone all the time. That's how sometimes people think salvation is like. Oh, did I lose it? I don't know if I'm saved. It's not like that, okay? Salvation really is not something lost. It's something walked away from. If you look at the life of Judas, look at all the times he could have repented. Look at all the times he could have made it right, but he didn't. And even, think about this, what's really the major difference between Judas and Peter? They seem to do a lot of the similar things. They get, you know, rebuked quite a bit and betray him at the end of his life there as he's being crucified. But what's really the major difference, and I don't think you can say one is better or worse than the betrayal and denial, it's that Judas quit. Judas hung himself and said, game over. I don't want to go back and humble myself. So if we think about our lives being secure in the loving hands of our Father, even if we make mistakes like Peter, Jesus is still going to come to us, offer us forgiveness, and welcome us home. Amen? So I want you to be secure in your salvation. I've never thought, and this is me, the preacher, who just preached to you some scary things. And by the way, we're only in the first verse here of the warning. I've never thought about losing my salvation since being a Christian. That may be other people's struggles. I'm just being honest with you. I can preach a message as strong as I just did and still not have a fear of losing my salvation. The reason is, is because I know that 1 John chapter 4 applies to me. I am not in the case of someone that's trying to get away with as much sin as I can and still go to heaven. I'm not trying to get away with disobeying God and so forth. I really love Jesus. How many of you really love Jesus? If you ever deal with condemnation, go to those scriptures that say there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Go to that scripture in 1 John because that's always an evidence that you're not the one that needs to really fear losing your salvation. Because the one that's not, uh, the one that will lose their salvation is the one who takes it so lightly, who doesn't care. Take, for example, the person living in adultery today. They're having sex before marriage. They don't really care. You know, they keep going back to that same relationship. They're not trying to sleep on the couch. They're not trying to go get married, get the, the court papers. They're just living in willful sin. That person really needs to take it serious. The Christian today or the young man that's lusted or has looked at pornography, they need to be gracious to themselves as God is being gracious to them and receive forgiveness for purity, and then they can have a testimony as God gave me having looked at pornography since 96 and waited 10 years to have sex again after I got married, amen? And if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. But it wasn't always like that, right? Like, as I believed and trust God, he got that junk out of my life. And so I want you, as a church, to take these warnings serious, but not to the point where you can't see God as your lovingly, heavenly Father who truly is with you. And if you sin and you feel convicted, that's actually a good thing. Not the sin, but the conviction. That's God bringing you back in. Condemnation makes you feel you can never live for God. Conviction says, get up and try again. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, though a righteous man, not a wicked man, but though a righteous man falls seven times, he'll get back up. 
And if Jesus taught us to forgive our brothers and even our enemies 70 times 7, how much more forgiveness does he have for us? Amen? But don't use that as an excuse to sin. Uh, Scroll up, please, just a little bit, because the next warning that we'll be getting into, uh, go up there, the warning of Hebrews 3 says that continual sin will harden the heart like plaque in the arteries. The more you eat of those unhealthy things, it will harden the heart and actually lead you to unbelief. So sin is not just the very thing you're doing in the moment. It actually sows a seed, a root that produces a fruit. And so continual sin will lead towards unbelief. But in your Christian walk, should you sin, be quick to repent and ask God for forgiveness, and you'll feel his grace and mercy. Amen? Amen. Now, you guys ready for verse 2? Let's go to verse 2. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we, everybody say we, thank you, ignore such a great salvation? So notice this. He points back to the law, and he goes, guys, if it was serious back then that when people violated the laws of God, they were punished, how much more so will we be punished if we ignore our salvation? And that's what the Bible talks about in 2 Peter. Let's go there quickly. In chapter 1, my wife had uh, posted it up on her Facebook, and I would encourage you guys, follow us on social media. If you don't always like what we say, it's okay. We always don't like what you say. Amen? But at least you can follow a pastor and see what they think. Amen? Oh, come on. I got an amen from two people. Come on now. Some people get offended by what we say on Facebook. You don't think we get offended by what you say on Facebook? I'm leaving the church. We haven't left you, and you say a lot of dumb things on Facebook. Amen? You should be in a congregation with people that say things you agree with and disagree with and be mature enough to grow. And I uh, just want to happen to say my wife is right. Amen? I'm not being paid to say that. I'll still have a good lunch when I go home. But I think my wife's posts are awesome. Amen? Here the Bible talks about in 2 Peter Adding to our faith all of these wonderful things. In verse 5, it says, add to your faith goodness. So faith is supposed to grow in the Christian's life. We have a root, not of sin, but of the holiness of God. Our fruit should be the fruit of the Spirit. The root of sin is of death and of the devil, and it has the fruit of sinful living. This This should be our root of faith in Christ, and this should be our fruit. Add to faith, goodness, goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, somebody say spiritual growth. Thank you. Spiritual growth. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if, or whoever rather, does not have them is near sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their sins. Look at that. They are forgetting they've been cleansed from their past sins. So in other words, if you're not growing spiritually, you are in danger of the root of your salvation dying because you no longer remember what Jesus Christ did for you. Do you see now the warning of drifting away? It's not a warning that you just cut off God, break up like some of you guys do. By the way, it's hard to keep up with relationships in this church, okay? Sometimes I just, I get myself in awkward conversations because I'm like, you guys are awesome. You're so cute together. Pastor, we broke up last night. I just heard you were together last week. Well, the Lord told us to break up, but I thought the Lord told you to get together. 
I know some of you know what I'm talking about. I love you, brothers and sisters. But it happens. It happens in a church, okay? And you know what? It's, it's, it's hard to keep up. But that's not God. God is not leaving us, and we shouldn't leave him like that, though I think there's a potential for us to leave him the same way, but, you know, in that kind of extreme way. But if you want to know my pastoral uh, experience, most people have a slow drift away from God. They used to come to church every week. Now it's maybe once a month. They used to be faithful at their life group and discipleship. Now not so much. They used to post up things from the church, you know, Bible verses and lessons that they were learning. Now all you see is pictures of the food they're eating. And then what happens? After a while, it's like, hey, where's so-and-so? Where's so-and-so? Well, what happened to them? Did they just jump off the ship and say, I'm getting out of here and start swimming? No, it was just a slow drift. Every now and then I take my children to the river. This is another story that uh, I might be ashamed of, but uh, sometimes, you know, because the river actually has a stream that moves, right? Sometimes I don't pay attention to them on the river with their life jacket. I have a time or two turn back around to see them quite away in the distance from me bobbing in their life jacket. Now, some of them will try to say that they almost drowned, and it's not true. It's just, for a five-year-old, that was like a drowning experience for them, but it's not good for me either. But anyways, that's what it's like, because we we have such a tendency towards laziness as human beings. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that laziness, slothfulness, is brother to destruction. You see, by not reading the Bible, you have filled your mind that day with something else. It wasn't like you, you know, you maybe picked up Antoine LaVey's, uh, you know, book of Satan. You know, it's not like you read the Satanic Bible, but just understand you let a day go by without filling yourself with the Word of God. And so TikTok and your job and Facebook and all these other things, that just took your time. And without knowing it, you're drifting. And it's not like you're going to put a, you know, a pentagram 666 on your head. It's not like you're, you know, you're going to go to a Travis Scott concert or anything. You know, anybody knows that guy. Uh, you know, it's not like you're going to be wild and crazy, but hold on, hold on. Before you start going to Marilyn Manson concerts or whatever, that was old school, but you get my point. You just start drifting. And then now you're not reading your Bible. And you used to pray about how to spend your money and budget and what job to get, but now you're just going with the first one that hires you, get you closer to your dream because you're manifesting yourself as a millionaire. And if it's a blessing, it must come from God, right? Because God wants you rich and happy. That's his only goal in your life. And before you know it, I'm just speaking as a pastor, it's hard to get a hold of you. I say that to you now because I'm warning you. And, and, And everybody here nodding their head and saying amen is a potential of that, as well as pastors, There are some of my pastor friends that don't want to talk to me anymore because they used to do this, but they drifted away, and now this is embarrassing to them because they know they're so far from it. They don't want to talk to someone who reminds them of their past. But I can almost guarantee if I texted them right now and say, did you go to church in the last 30 days? They would probably say I went, that they would win. They would probably say, yeah, I've gone to church. But, man, they're so far from being who they used to be. Now, here's the question. It's a good one. As we look back at Hebrews, how do I know I'm gone? How do I know it's over? How do I know if I would die and I would go to hell? I don't think you will. If you look at the story of Samson, 
Samson was a Nazarite, and he was under Old Testament laws, and this is a good example because it says, don't you remember, when you broke the law in the past, you were punished, okay? So this is one of those examples. Samson was under the law of a Nazarite. He couldn't touch anything that was dead. He couldn't drink grape juice, not wine, not anything made of grapes, including the grape juice, and he couldn't cut his hair. This is what Nazarites did. He committed to this, and yet throughout his life, what do you begin to see him do? You begin to see him get drunk and party, touch dead things, right? And yet he still has his power. So how far has he drifted away? I don't know. But remember the story with him and Delilah. What does he have left? His hair. And she starts asking him, what is the secret of your power? And so everybody who makes these movies with uh, Samson being, you know, like John Cena or whatever. No, no, you need to make the movie with the guy like Tom Holland from Spider-Man. Because if you see a guy that looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger or whatever, you know where his strength comes from. You come, it comes from the gym. You know, you go to the gym, bro. Yeah, I lift weights. You know, that's the dude, right? Yeah, yeah, that's where it comes. Because you want to tell everybody and take selfies with your shirt off in front of the mirror anyways. Uh, but that's that dude. No, no, it's a Tom Holland type guy. Man, we can't figure you out, bro. You don't even lift. You know, how are you doing all this? But he's got those long locks, right? Now, notice in the story, we don't have time to read it. You can check the preacher and see if I'm telling the truth. When he finally told her it was the hair, which was the last part of his vow, the Bible says he tried to get up after his hair was cut. And she said, Samson, the Philistines are here, the Philistines. The Bible says he tried to arise like he did in times past, but he knew not the spirit of the Lord had left him. That's what I think backsliding is like. You won't know. Because you'll get so far away, it won't even matter to you anymore to know. And so your heart is hard. You're not sensitive to the Spirit. And you will not know it. But I can guarantee you this. People who love you more than likely will know. Because God has given us the gift. It's a spiritual gift of discerning of spirits. Now, I try not to go out on a limb and say who's saved and who's not saved. But as a good godly man that counsels and tries to encourage others, I will help go through your life and help you see whether or not you have walked away. But once again, or drifted away, the one who's always doing that, it's like, no, 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 bro, that's not for you. You're the one thinking about it all the time. This is not the warning for you. The, the thing that we need to help that person do is get over condemnation. And I've had that before because we have a radical church, man. You know, people want to live for Jesus. I mean, I've sat on, on phone calls with people, and they said, man, I, I yelled at my wife, man, am I going to hell, pastor? Do I need to get rebaptized again and all this? And I'm like, it's okay, bro. It's okay. Do you love Jesus? Yeah, I love you. Do you feel bad about it? Yeah, I feel. Okay, tell your wife you're sorry. Repent of your sins and do better now. Let God lead you. And you can see their marriage grow and so forth. But that's the guilt of condemnation. And so what the Bible is saying here, don't have that condemnation and then don't have that false uh, security. Have the truth that you know if you walk away from this, it can go bad for, for you. And I oftentimes see this in people who don't even know it's happening in their life, like Samson, because they're so deceived now. And generally what follows that lifestyle is a lifestyle of compromise and a lifestyle of laziness. So this would be my encouragement to you to take careful, pay careful attention by reading your scriptures, praying, being around godly brothers and sisters so that you do not drift away. Amen? 
Okay. So this salvation was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. I believe this is someone either like Paul or Paul himself. Because remember, Paul was not around for Jesus' ministry. Paul was a Jew that was a persecutor and actually helped kill some of the Christians of the early church, like when Stephen was getting stoned. So whoever the author is of Hebrews was not someone who actually heard Jesus speak. It was someone that had heard from those who heard Jesus speak. Somebody say the disciples of the disciples. Amen. Are there any disciples of disciples here today? Amen. Because we weren't around 2,000 years ago hearing Jesus speak, but we now take serious what they had said. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 2, just to encourage you in this. One of our gospels, whether you knew it or not, was actually written by a physician, a doctor, so they're pretty smart, who undertook the task to be a historian. Not all of our Gospels are written by eyewitnesses. One of them, Luke, is actually a doctor who followed Paul around who wanted his churches, Paul's churches, to have a Gospel of their own. Think about the early church. How do you get the book of Matthew to everybody? It's going to be really difficult. So why not write your own so you can share it wherever you go? Otherwise, we have to copy Matthew over and over and over again. So Luke wanted to put together his recount so that he could share it with others. And he actually tells you that. Look at it. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and served of the word. So he's saying a lot of us want to listen to these guys, these disciples, because they were there. A lot of people have been doing this. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Everybody go, ah, history channel, man. There you go, one of your first documentaries like History Channel. Luke's like, hey, there's a lot of disciples running around. There's a lot of messages running around. I wanted to do one. So he does like what? A seven-part series on YouTube on the history of Jesus. I know it sounds corny when I say that, but I want to keep your attention. This is the same way the author of Hebrews is speaking. Why is that important? It's important because we today are in that same position. We cannot now go knock on Jesus' door and say, hey, can I hang out with you? I got some questions. I'm like doubting Thomas. I want to touch and feel this thing out. We have to trust the disciples. And were they good in writing down these messages? I believe they were. Were they good in handing down those messages? I believe they were. And so if anyone ever wants to call into question the veracity of the New Testament, you need to show them how serious we take it. Amen? And our manuscripts are in the thousands. And though there may be grammatical errors, things that don't change one doctrine or anything, all of those agree upwards of 95, 98%. There is a perfection that is in our documents that is in no other ancient documents known to the history of mankind. Amen? I mean, it's going to be impossible to have an imper- you know, perfect agreement unless you get it, you know, the stone tablets Jesus did or, you know, on the mountain with the, with the tablets. But 95, 98% agreement, isn't that pretty amazing? And whatever is different in, in our grammar or whatever is repeated in some places and in other places that may be a retelling a little bit different, how many know you get 98% agreement, you got Jesus raising from the dead, you got the gospel of Jesus Christ, you got his second coming and all the prophecies being fulfilled. Amen? Amen. So going back to Hebrews, the author is telling us, 
We have this salvation. We ought not drift from it. It's been given to us by the apostles. But not only that, keep going, verse 4. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. If I was to ask you right now to go on a map and show me where you think the most dangerous place to be a Christian is, would most of you know where to go? How many, how many here have heard of the 1040 window? It's the, it's the longitude. I believe it's longitude. And then there's latitude. There's longitude and latitude. Is it longitude? Longitude, thank you. 40, 1040 window. Now, most of you would be able to point to it if you've heard about this before. It's mostly the Middle East, Northern Africa, China, and so forth, okay? So if I was to ask you, where is the most dangerous place to be a Christian? Most of us who have studied this would point to these countries in a 1040 window. If I was to then ask you, where are the most signs and wonders happening right now? Where would you point? To the 1040 window. Do you know that God is still being God right now? He is talking to people, and he is bringing forth miracles in the nations. You can get a book or a video series. You can get one or the other on dreams in the Islamic world. Dreams in the Islamic world. God is showing them dreams and signs and wonders. God is speaking to people in even communist China. They say right now China may have the largest Pentecostal number of any uh, nation in the world, and they're one of the most heavily persecuted people. Why? Because not only do we have the testimony of the written scripture, we have God uh, coming in and invading those countries and invading the hearts of the people seeking. Amen? You can see a video of uh, Chinese Christians receiving their very first Bible. Has anybody ever seen that video? It's a powerful video. Brother, would you play it in the background, please, and thank you. Uh, They receive the Bible for the first time, and they're crying and weeping. How we have uh, gotten so comfortable in America with our freedom of religion. Would you just thank the Lord for the Bible? Amen. Come on, put it together. Thank the Lord. You can read it today. You can study it today. When you see this video, it will touch your heart. But I want you to understand, do you know that before they had all of this, do you know that they had all of God? Some of them would only have pamphlets that South Korea sends over. Do you know that South Korea has so many bold missionaries? They are coming up with creative ways to send the Bible and the gospel into North Korea and into China. You know what, the, you know what these South Koreans will do? They'll get air balloons, these hot air balloons, and they'll send them over these borders to explode or to pop at a certain time, and then they'll drop these leaflets on the ground. And you'll hear the testimonies from Christians in China and in North Korea that that is all that they knew, but they began to have a relationship with that God. And then eventually the missionaries will come and give them more Bibles and, and things they can have. Look at this uh, video, please, of the Christians receiving uh, the first Bible here in China. The joy of their heart. You think our teenagers would do that if I put out Bibles at a high school today? But look at these young people. Look at these adults as well. Some of them have only heard the stories only pamphlets or maybe one Bible in their village and now they have the full word of God may we never take this for granted amen thank you my brother going back to this a passage in Hebrews chapter 2 I'll just read these verses all together because I don't want us to lose the context as we're moving through it 
We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus was confirmed to us by those who heard him, like the apostles, you know. Uh, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will and God's people's said. Amen. Now let's go to verse 5. Thank you. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, but about which we are speaking. Think about this. The world is not given to angels. It's given to us. Do you not know in the book of Genesis, we were given the earth, not the angels. We should have taken that fallen angel, that devil, that serpent by his head and threw him on the ground and squashed him then in Jesus' name. Talk about paradise on earth. You would only know nakedness, your family, and reproduction, amen, and a little bit of gardening on the side. But now we know what? The knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because we fell for the lies of the serpent. That's what this is doing here, uh, the author is doing. He's taking us back to the beginning. Don't you know that the world was given to us? It was ours to have. Now we've lost it. Verse 6. Now this is what I love. Highlight this, please, and now you'll know why I, I as a preacher need your prayers. Here is the author of this amazing book that probably goes into more depth than any New Testament book, at least tied with Romans. And here's what the author says. There is a place where someone has testified. I don't know if you get that joke, but it's a nice pastor joke because we don't always remember the Bible. Have you ever been in a service with me when I'm like, the Bible says this somewhere, somebody look it up? Okay, now you get the joke. Notice this. Maybe it's not a funny joke, but it's a pastor joke. The author of Hebrews says, hey, I'm going to keep preaching to you, but somewhere somebody said this. All right, quote it to us, my man. We'll figure it out. But that's how they were. And one of the reasons is, and I take comfort in this, is that they were trusting the Holy Spirit to lead them, and it wasn't important whether the name or the numbers were there. They had the names at that time, but the numbers came well after that. So they just trust that if I can tell you what God has said, you'll find it in your scriptures. So there's a place where someone has testified. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Have you heard this before? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. The reason why you see the word his and him in those brackets is because we're reading out of the NIV translation, but I am inserting the King James translation with those words. The NIV, which can be legitimate according to the ancient Hebrew and Greek here, use it as a plural. But it can also be a singular. And so scholars have gone back and forth. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? The son of man that you care for them, and so forth. And they put it into the plural because the son of man would stand for mankind. What I believe is that this is a prophecy specifically about Jesus, and I believe the King James retains this by keeping it in the singular. Uh, singular. Because you have a choice, singular or plural here, depending on how you want to read it. I'm not a scholar in these languages, so I look at the different translations. I believe this is a prophecy of Jesus. Why do I believe it? Because Hebrew says it is. Amen? And I don't think the prophecy makes sense in the plural. So just put it up in the NIV so you can see it, Hebrews 2.6. And this is actually not a disagreement of manuscripts. Remember we were talking about manuscripts having a 98, 96% agreement? This has nothing to do with it because the words are still there in the manuscripts. What we're now having the disagreement on 
is now in translations. Translations come from manuscripts. Everybody tracking with me? So you have the originals in their languages like Greek and Hebrew, and then you make different translations. So the Greek and Hebrew is the same because it's a Greek in the New Testament, and then the quote comes from the Hebrew of the Old Testament, comes from the Psalm. And now what the, uh, the translators are debating on in English, what should it be? So here it is in the NIV. What is mankind that you are mindful of what? Of them. You see the plural there? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. And you can see there even the contradiction. I should have brought this up before. It now inserts the son of man and puts it singular, and then it goes back to a them. Now, if you put it in the King James, please, the same passage, you'll see it in the singular. Does it change anything meaningful? No, you can still pull off the prophecy with the plural of the thems because you would just say, out of the them, there's a him named Jesus that he's going to fulfill it because he's the best among us. Can I hear an amen? So out of the human race, the them of the NIV translation, there's a him. So, I mean, that's how you can work it out. But you see it here in the King James. But in a certain place, it's testified saying, what is man that thou art mindful of what? Him, or the son of man that thou visitest, what? Him thou madest him. Thank you. Now, going back to the passage, this is where it gets deep, and I want you all to track with me in these last few moments we have here together. It's not much longer after this. Jesus came to be a man. Why? So that men might be saved. Obvious, right? But what is the plan after that? The subject, the subjection of the whole world, ruling and reigning, as superheroes upon the earth. See, I say superheroes, it lights up your eyes. Like, ooh, that's kind of cool. Can we fly around? Probably. Can we go from one place to the other? Probably. And guess who are going to be our servants? The angels. Don't you remember reading that in chapter 1? If you don't, just go back to the passage. We don't have it in my notes, but go to Hebrews chapter 2 and then just scroll up from verse 1 of chapter 2 to the last verse of chapter 1. Yeah, now just scroll up to the last verse. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Woo! Come on! We will be in charge of angels. Right now, it seems like one of those fallen angels is in charge of a lot of stuff. But I will be in charge of him, and not only the bad ones in Jesus' name, but the good ones. So sometimes people now want to say, let me take a jump ahead. Let me go right to this point and start talking to angels. Remember we read at the beginning, angels can come and deceive you. So as uh, some New Agers do, they say, well, I want to know my guardian angel. Guardian angel, will you please come talk to me? Hello, I'm your guardian angel. And it's okay to smoke weed. And it's okay to do drugs. And it's okay to skip school, you know, whatever. And they're like, well, my guardian angel told me. No, your guardian angel's a demon. Or the guardian angel comes like one of those fairies, you know, like pixie dust is everywhere. I just love everybody. Be a vegan. Do the crooked chicken and, and do yoga, right? And I know that's a demon. That's why I always say, bring your guardian angel to church with you, and we'll talk to them with you, okay? And then you'll see your guardian angel make noises and sounds you've never heard them make before as we cast them out in Jesus' name. I never heard my guardian angel talk like that. She was so nice before. Yeah, we're showing you who that guardian angel really is in Jesus' name. So going back now to Hebrews chapter 2 and to these last verses, he said that Jesus, now watch this. This is where you got to get it. 
Jesus goes down to go back up because we went down and can't get back up. I've fallen and I can't get up. You remember, anybody remember that commercial? I've fallen, old people, and I'm going to be there one day, so I don't want to make too much fun of it. I've fallen and I can't get up. And they push that little monitor thing, please help me. You know, seriously, I have one of those monitors with my child right now. One day I'm going to have to have it for my dad. Come get me, son. That's the way life is, right? Somebody's going to have to change your diapers. How many want to be somebody nice, though? Amen? All right. You started off having your diapers changed. That's how you end, most of us, okay? So let's be humble here. But notice, we've fallen. We're fallen. We're on the earth. We're in sin. We're in the muck, in the mire. What does Jesus do? He comes down to be with us. You made him, notice this, talking about, I believe, Jesus, a little lower than the angels. So Jesus, who was above angels comes now, he's actually the creator of angels, comes now underneath angels. Remember after fasting, the angels come and serve him and have to give him something to eat because the devil was messing with him? Angels took care of him. But he had once made angels. Could you imagine being on that assignment? I mean, just imagine this. Use your imagination. You're an angel, and you hear the plan of salvation. You would probably almost be like Peter, wouldn't you? No, you can't go down there. Jesus, I've been down there. I've been to Sodom and Gomorrah. You don't want to go down there. And Jesus is like, no, I'm going down there. And you can almost hear the angels say, but you're coming with us in our power, right? Like, like we got you, right? Like we're going to make sure you never get messed with. He's going to be like, no, I'm going to let him kill me. Could you imagine what the angels would say back to that? You're going to let them kill you? Yeah. Why would you do that, God? Why would you be so mindful of them? That's what the psalmist is saying. What is man, this worm of the earth? Why are you mindful of him? But Jesus says, they're in my image, and I won't leave them. They've left me, but I'm coming for them. You see the great romance there? You see the great love story that God has for us and those of us now who can recognize this? I mean, I'm the damsel in distress in this love story, amen? I can recognize my hero comes for me. Every love story you've ever heard pales in comparison for Jesus leaving heaven to come be with us. Anything that you ever heard of men where someone goes to fight on behalf of other men and goes to war pales in comparison to what Jesus is doing. Jesus is the ultimate brave heart. Jesus is the ultimate gladiator. Jesus is the ultimate one that suffers for us in his, in his love for us. Amen? And putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. So Jesus makes himself lower than the angels, then defeats death, hell, and the grave, and now ascends to heaven and sends the Holy Ghost for us to go preach. And we don't see yet that everything is subject to him. Is the whole world right now worshiping Jesus? Is everything under uh, the literal power and authority of Jesus? No, but we trust that it is. As we talked in our first service, there's an already and there's a not yet. He is sitting on the throne of his father. Remember, Stephen uh, saw that as he was getting stoned. He saw Jesus there next to his father. The work of redemption has been done, but we're waiting for it all to be complete. What is happening in the meantime? We're preaching the gospel to the nations. So even though we want him to come back and subject everything to his, his power and authority and to clean up the earth, we also have to preach the gospel lest our relatives get thrown out with the trash. Lest those we love get thrown out. Because people say all the time, the world is a bunch of evil and a bunch of trash. I wish God would just clean it up. Yeah, but if you're not a Christian, you're going out with the devil. The Bible says that very clearly, that those who do not know God go to hell with the devil. So even though I want him to come back, how many are gracious for his patience?
Because more and more are hearing his name in places like China where the Bible is being given to them for the first time. In closing, as our worship team comes, look at verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So you see here the author going, we do see Jesus. How do we see Jesus in that way? Through the scriptures. How many read the scriptures as a Christian after you really believed the gospel? You read the story of the death, burial, and resurrection, and you saw it in ways you never saw it before. Can I get an amen? Come on, listen to me. I'm going to ask this question again. How many of you, after becoming a Christian, that means you had an experience with God. Maybe it was at a church service. Maybe it was a play, a concert, at a life group. Somebody led you to the Lord, a family member. But then you went back and you read for yourself the crucifixion of Jesus, and it hit different. If that's you, can I hear an amen? Thank you. Do you know that the first time I took communion after being a Christian, it was in my friend's house. We were in his bedroom. Do you know that I was on the floor in a puddle of tears? Why? Because I could see it now. I understood it in a different way. All these other times that I had been brought up in church and I thought about Jesus dying on the cross, that was for somebody else. That was for religious people. It wasn't for me. When I became a Christian and I said, I believe that message, and then I began to study it and look at it with that right heart, I saw all of my rebellion towards my parents on that cross. And yet he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. I saw on that cross the time that I robbed people and took things that belonged to them and took it as myself. I saw all the sex I had outside of marriage and the despicable person I'd become to the people I was with in those relationships. And yet he took it. He forgave me. When people left me, he came to save me. When everyone else was running away, he was running to me. Are you listening? That hits different. That's what this author is saying to us. We can see it now in ways that we've never seen. Verse 10, why did he do this? In bringing many sons and daughters to glory. He's running into the fires of this world. He's running into the midst of our darkness and our temptations. I mean, imagine today, I know I said some of my naughty things. Imagine if each one of your things were put on this screen right now. How long would it take for your face to turn red and you hide underneath that chair? Every evil thought you've thought towards others. Everything you've done against people who've even loved you. All the hatred, all the bitterness, all the gossip, all the slander. Imagine if we put it there. Imagine how quickly we would be embarrassed and ashamed and say, I'm not worthy of this. And yet what would we see in this illustration? The blood of Jesus covering it. That's why I say to new Christians, God loves you just the way you are, but too much to let you stay that way. Never take sin lightly. Even if he forgives you of it, never take it lightly. You want to see how serious Jesus takes sin? Look at the cross and now try to sin that sin again. Well, it feels good, Pastor, and I'm still working on it because, you know, God's working on me. Yeah, look at BigHooters.com and have a picture of Jesus on the cross next to your screen. Next time you want to gossip, put on the scriptures. Next time you want to act out of anger and hatred, open up your Bible to John 3.16. It says, for God so loved this world. Go there for a minute and watch how quickly it stops you in its tracks as it stopped me right now just like a dart hit my heart. I can't even say it in that context without it just hitting me. 
That's how much he loves us. And he sees the garbage of this world. And he says, son, daughter, son, daughter. He wants to call us home. Why did he go to the cross? Why did he do all that? He didn't need heaven. That's the whole point of Hebrews. Y'all better take warning to this. You can drift away and go to hell, and he still has heaven. He had heaven already. He didn't come for that. He came for you to have heaven because all you and I had was hell on earth and hell after we died. That's why he came. He came to stop me from having hell on earth. Oh, this is hell on earth. Yeah, it is, baby, but it's a lot worse when you leave earth. This is not just the beginning of hell. Uh, this is not the end of hell. This is the beginning of hell. I say that to everybody. Even atheists say, oh, I hate God and all this. And I say, but do you like the way earth is right now? Do you like molestation? Do you like the violence? Oh, no, we don't like that. Well, then imagine what hell is. Do you like your anxiety? Do you like your panic attacks? Do you like mental anguish? Imagine what hell is. He's saving us from this. He's saving us from eternal damnation to bring us as sons and daughters. He loves us. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, big picture God here, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Jesus didn't lack perfection of nature. But he had to learn and grow just like any human being to become perfect as a child in Sunday school, as a man respecting women. He had to show that he could be perfect every day. And he did it. He showed us that where Adam failed, we could do or he could do and we could now do with him. That's why he says be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So even though we may sin, the Bible says not to sin. And it says lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. That's the prayer we should be praying because he showed us the example. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. We belong to God's family now. Now notice this, and I just love this. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. If I was to point out even our leaders up here and the testimonies that they have said of their own selves, their own stories, their own backstories, the ones that they can tell in church and not be ashamed of. Because, you know, we all got testimonies we don't tell everybody. Amen? It's like we tell parts of our testimony. How many know there's still some stuff in our testimony we don't share with everybody? I'm not going to go too much into this, but my mom and dad kept telling me this real basic testimony. And I said, I want to know the truth about your testimony. You better tell me some more stuff. And I could even see my dad after, and my wife's right here. Am I not telling the truth? I could see my dad after being a Christian for 50 years start to mumble during the testimony. He didn't want to tell it all even to me. But I was nosy. I got it out of him, just some of it. Because I was like, Dad, I always hear just this part, but I want to know the rest of it. He had to go there with me, and it was embarrassing. Now notice this. Is Jesus embarrassed of these brothers and sisters? He's not embarrassed of them. He knows what they did. And he says, I'm not ashamed to call James my brother, to call Rudy my brother, to call Sydney my sister, to call Des my sister, and to call Lawrence my brother. Now the question is, are we ashamed to say we know him? He wasn't ashamed of you. He wasn't ashamed when you sinned. He wasn't ashamed when you were in wickedness. So how dare you young people, listen to me, every teenager and young adult, how dare you be ashamed tomorrow morning of the name of Jesus at your school? 
How dare you moms and dads and workers who go to work at jobs that God gave you. Otherwise, you'd be smelling like urine, like somebody on a bus today or somewhere in a mental clinic. How dare you be ashamed of his name? Let us never be ashamed of the name of Jesus. As a matter of fact, he said in the Gospels, if you're ashamed of me in this wicked world, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. So brothers and sisters, despise that shame and say proudly and boldly with grace and humility, I am a Christian. I am Christ-like. I follow my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is only one way to heaven. There is only one way to the Father. There is only one truth, and his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. Sometimes people think it's weird that Jesus praised the Father on earth. Look at the Last Supper. They sang a hymn to the Father. Don't you know they've been having a loving relationship this whole time? Why would it stop while they're, they're on earth, while Jesus is on earth? I sing songs to my wife. That's not weird. We sing songs to each other for happy birthday. Jesus sang songs to his Father while he was on earth teaching us how to worship him. Amen. In verse 14, here in closing, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. God didn't stop being God. God just became a man. You don't stop becoming a human when you put on a chicken suit, okay, or a cow suit. Anybody ever seen the Chick-fil-A suit that they put on the cow? How many know there's still a human inside of that? Okay, how many know there's a human inside of the cow outfit? I know you're tired, but you have to pay attention. Unless I contradicted myself. Am I making sense? I'm good? Okay. When God put on humanity, he did not stop being God. He just became a man. How did God die? He died in his human nature. His spirit lived on. Just like you, you can die. Your soul lives on. God's nature has never been put to death, cannot be destroyed, has no beginning or end. But God took on flesh that can die. He became human like us. Notice it, flesh and blood. He shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Hallelujah. And to free all of those who for all of their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. If you've been set free by the, from the fear of death, can I hear an amen? Jesus Christ sets us free from death. In our last verses, it says here boldly, but surely it's not angels he helps. Sorry, angels, one and done, you blew it. If you pick the wrong side, you're going to hell now. He didn't die for angels, but it's Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he was made to be like them, fully human in every way. That means he got tired. That means he got hungry. That means he cried. If Jesus wept, we read it today in the Bible. He went, he went to the bathroom. He was like us in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. If you need Jesus' help, would you stand up today, put your hands together, and bless him right now and say, help me, Jesus. Come on, somebody bless him and say, help me, Jesus. Hallelujah, help me, Jesus. Altar workers, would you come, please? Thank you for your patience today. How many are going to take that warning serious? Amen. I know that you and I learned a lot today. It felt like Bible class, but I tried to preach as I taught, you know, preach and teach. But remember this, brothers and sisters. If we have this salvation, no one can take it from us. And in our times of weakness, he understands us. But if we don't take it serious, 
we can drift away. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today that you gave us your best when you gave us Jesus. If you're here today as I'm praying and you have not accepted Jesus, would you ask him to be the Lord of your life? Repent of your sins and declare him to be Lord. Father, I thank you for those who may be coming to you right now for the first time or rededicating their life. For the rest of us, would you begin to pray and ask Jesus to check your heart to make sure you don't drift away. Ask the Lord to look at where your anchor is today. Where is your life? Even as I'm praying, some can come forward, but we'll dismiss and everybody can come forward in just a minute. But listen, we have to pray before we go that we take this serious. If you're not a Christian, I'm praying for you right now to become one. Father, may they all accept you here today. May no one leave out here the same way they came. May they know that you love them. That the cross was not just for everybody and anybody. It was for specific somebodies. It was for them. It was for them, Lord. It's not just a general people that you died for. You died for each person. If that's you, come on, talk to Jesus today before you go. And those of us who are already Christians, check your heart. Father, help me never to drift away. Keep me close. Keep me close to the anchor of my salvation. If you've been going through things in your life and you feel like you're confused and you're hurting, the Bible says he can identify with you today. There is not one pain or one problem that we'll go through ever that he can't identify with. Would you surrender it to Jesus? Lord, I give you my pain. And lift off what your pain is. List it off. The pain of maybe uh, suffering in this life because of what others have done to you. Let Jesus heal your heart today. Others of you, you have problems. I'm a Christian, but I have all these problems, Pastor. Yes, no one's here asking you to deny it. But can you see the problem solver? Can you see Jesus? Jesus is the answer. Ask him right now to help fix your problems. We surrender to you, Jesus, all of our lives. You're not ashamed of us. We don't want to be ashamed of you. Lastly, now in prayer, all of us, ask the Lord to use you this week to go out into this community unashamedly to spread the message of Jesus. Evangelism teams meet before every service and life group. We also will be going to the abortion clinic in Monday downtown, uh, Sunday, Saturday to the abortion clinic, Monday downtown, and today somewhere's a location as they take out the truck. And on your job, come on, with your family, pray right now that God will use you. We say we believe it, but do we put our feet into action? Ask the Lord to use you this week. Who are you going to tell about Jesus to? Who are you going to share this story to in a way that they can understand? Hey, did you know what happened? What do you mean what happened? Do you know why we lost our peace on earth? No more goodwill towards men. You want to know what happened? You, do you know? Oh, I don't know. Well, we sinned. We fallen. But Jesus came as a human to save us. Now he wants to be our brother and sister. He wants to bring us into the family of God. Do you want Jesus to be your, your, your family member? Do you want Jesus to forgive you of your sins, make atonement for you? Come on, let's do that this week. A few more moments. Pray for somebody. Pray for wherever you're going to go. Evangelize. Lord, use us to spread that message. Lord, that this community will change. The gospel is the only answer. Lord, we pray for our schools to change. You're the only answer. Our politics, our police, our businesses, our government, you're the only answer. In the name of Jesus. I just want to sing this old school song. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other 
Jesus is the way. One more time, Jesus. And Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. If you believe that, can you bless him one more time? Second service. God bless you. Thank you for coming. We're going to now worship and pray. Feel free to hang out as long as you would like. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Go ahead, worship band. I know you can sing better than me. Go ahead, lead us in a good one, please. Come on up for prayer, those who want it. Or if you